right. Good morning, Haven Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Vashon. I'm one of the members here at the Haven Church, and I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning. So if you want to open up your Bibles, flick on the, the Bible app, we're going to be reading uh, from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Give you guys a second to turn there. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you done with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding, on, on, was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see it, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with, with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean. All right, good morning, Haven Church family. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Amen, amen. How about that Prince of Peace earlier today? Throwback to like your 90s youth group days. Man, that was so good. Thank you, Caleb and the team. Um, we are continuing our series, Love Walked Among Us, Rediscovering the Heart uh, of Jesus. And we've just been going through a series looking at these one-on-one -on -one encounters that Jesus Christ is, is having uh, with those in the Gospels. We, we've looked at Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery, a man with leprosy, uh, the calling of Matthew. And today, we're looking at the heart of Jesus for the demonically afflicted. And so with every sermon, you have to kind of figure out, you know, like how much backdrop and, 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 and uh, uh, information you have to give on a topic, you know, all that stuff. So what I'm going to do, instead of like making the case for why this is a thing and how this works, all that stuff, I'm going to point you to a sermon series that we did in September. And so um, we, in September, in our Ephesians sermon series, we did a three-part series on demons, demonization, deliverance, the, the act of casting demons out of people. Um, and so if you want uh, a link to that, uh, you, can go to our, you can go to our website or our podcast, but if you want like the specific information 
I'll give you that, so you, it'll answer, that will answer all of your questions about this topic, um, and there are handouts to go with that. So if you're interested in one listening to that series to answer all your questions and to research more, there's a handout I can give. Please email me directly at nick at havenchurchdc.org, and I will get that to you. So moving forward, the assumption for this sermon today is this, that if you are here today and a follower of Jesus, I am assuming that you believe demons exist, that they seek to inhabit individuals, so we call demonization, in order to influence them to pull hell up into their lives and pull hell up through their lives. So that's what we, I believe that Jesus, this is the worldview Jesus Christ gives us, and this is how the kingdom of darkness operates, is that these demons seek to inhabit people, to influence them, to pull up the ethics and the, the presence of hell into their lives, destruction to God's image bearers, and destruction through those individuals. And if we were to ask, why is the world such a terrible, evil, awful place, and why is, is history just you know, laden with all of these unspeakable atrocities, it's because of, of the unseen evil spiritual, supernatural force. Yes, our sin, and yes, the demonic compelling, uh, adding kerosene to our sinful wills and desires as well. And so before we dive in, a quick refresher, I am going to talk about this, is often we have a truncated gospel where um, the gospel, yes, is the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel, the great news. But also the gospel is this glorious news of a kingdom of restoration that Jesus came preaching, yes, the gospel and the gospel of the kingdom, a kingdom of restoration and the renewal of all things, a return back to the Garden of Eden, back to God's original design for humanity before the curse of sin, before the fall of humanity. And uh, this is what Jesus says in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn from your sins, and trust in the king and in this good news of the restoration this kingdom will bring. And so what better way to start off a sermon by quoting Tim Keller. So I'm going to share a Tim Keller quote with you about if we were to ask, well, what is the kingdom of God? I love his take on this. He says this, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is the renewal of the whole world. Did you guys catch that? The renewal of the whole world through the entrance of supernatural forces. As things are brought back under King Jesus' Christ's rule and authority, restoration happens. They're restored to health and beauty and freedom. And so a while back, I've shared this illustration before, but it bears repeating for this, this sermon. In 2021, my wife and I bought a single-family home in, in Springfield, and it was a fixer-upper. It needed a lot of restoration. The yard was a mess. Inside was a mess. We actually had to rip out all the ductwork. Anyone here ever had to rip out ductwork of their house? I never met a single person that had to do that because they were all, like, laden with mold because the person never cleared their unit. It was disgusting, okay? So we had a lot of work to do. And the previous owner left us a lot of things. When, when we bought the house, there's a lot of things that we actually had to move. Some of you are nodding your head because you were there with me, helping the owner move out of his own house when he was supposed to be gone when our team came out from the transit at the time to, uh, to help carry my burdens into the house. Anyway, so um, one thing that the owner left us was a rat as well in the house. And so we're moving in and all of a sudden there's this agent of destruction inside of our house that we are trying to restore. And this agent of destruction, this rat that was like the size of a household cat would, you know, get into our kitchen and he would get into like literally nod through my, my whey protein plastic bottle. So he's getting his gains on and got into rice and like all like we were Costco shoppers then. And so he's just, it's like, he's just trying out chips, didn't like those chips. So then he goes over here and he's just making a mess. He's just destroying. He's an agent of destruction. 
And so it was messy work. But finally, I was able, I was able to catch him and, and, and do what you do with rats when you catch them is, is, is evict them, send them out of your house. And the reason I shared that is this, is if there are forces of destruction in the place that you are seeking to restore, restoration can only happen with eviction of those forces, right? And that's where Jesus's deliverance ministry that we often don't understand in 2024 in the West, that's where that fits in is Jesus is flipping the entire universe. He's reversing the curse of sin. He's reversing all the demonic oppression, disease, death, division, all of that. This is his, his massive house-flipping project, the renewal of all of creation. And, and in order for him to renew all of creation, he's literally doing a mass exorcism of the devil, that he's evicting the, the devil's presence from this earth so that he can bring his kingdom of peace and righteousness and holiness and purity. And that's what we see in our text today is Jesus, this isn't um, like a a side ministry of Jesus, Jesus with this demonized man in the region of the Gerasenes, this is exactly what Jesus came to do, to bring restoration to image bearers, and that restoration comes to an image bearer of God when those forces of destruction are expelled out of him. So three points of my talk, and then we will dive in. In our text today, we see the compassion of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, and the power of Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Hmm. Lord, we just come before you so grateful to gather here. Jesus, you, we declare your goodness over our lives. We want to be here today, Lord God, to, to sing your praises. We want to be here with your redeemed This is all your work. This is all you're you're doing. You've purchased us with your blood. This is all real. This isn't abstract. This isn't theory. This is reality. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil cannot make any claim on followers of Jesus because our sins have been nailed to the cross. You have disarmed him and triumphed over him. And we celebrate that that that's who you are, Jesus. That's who we sing to today. That's who we pray to, the king of the universe who came for us and conquered all of our greatest enemies. Yes, there's a battle raging, but you've won the war. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and, and you'd renew our minds. You'd, you, you, you'd enlighten the eyes of our heart to see the, the immeasurable greatness of the, the hope that's coming to us, the great homecoming that you've prepared. That day is coming. That's not wishful thinking. It's coming. Lord, God, to see the immeasurable greatness of your power of the Holy Spirit that has a direction towards us who believe and the fact that you are seated, the Father raised you up, uh, uh, seated over every ruler and authority and power and dominion over any name that could be named. You're in authority over all things are under your feet, Jesus. You are king, you are Lord, and you're also our shepherd. And you're with us, you're present by the Spirit. And so would you return proper reverence and awe and wonder to our hearts today of who is this king? Who is this Jesus? The king that would leave his throne and come and rescue ruined sinners from the clutches of the devil. Thank you, God. So Holy Spirit, come have your way with your word. Come have your way with our hearts, Lord Jesus. I ask for your help, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that the the meditation of my heart and the words of my my mouth would be pleasing in your sight and that all eyes would be on you, Lord Jesus, today. Not the demonic, not uh, me, not a sermon, but on you. And we would leave here understanding who you are and what you have purchased for us and what that means 
for us leaving this place today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, the compassion of Jesus. If we were to ask, why is Jesus on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee? In our text today, like Jesus said, primarily the majority of his ministry on the western shore. This was like the Jewish side of uh, the river, if you will. Uh, Capernaum, his great Galilean ministry. Now he's crossing over to the eastern shore, which is pagan Gentile territory. Why is Jesus here in pagan Gentile territory face to face with a half-naked, shrieking, demonized man? How did we get here? And the simple response, the reason we got here is Jesus has compassion for the demonically afflicted. This is no accident today where Jesus is like, hey, fellas, disciples, let's go see what's shaking and baking on the eastern shore in the Gentile region, see what happens, right? No, there's a, earlier in Mark, we see as they're en route, leaving the western shore of the Sea of Galilee to get to the region of the Decapolis, there's a mighty storm that happens. Almost sinks the boat, professional fishermen are, are scared, are nervous. Jesus cool as a cucumber, just, you know, Gets, gets to the whole, you know, gets to the, to, to the top of the boat and just says, hey, peace be still. Peace be still. And then the storm, the storm quiets. A lot of well-respected scholars believe that that storm is demonic opposition to Jesus coming into that region. And Jesus, we see Jesus' authority, yes, over uh, the forces of nature and also the forces of the demonic, but well-respected scholars believe that that potentially could be the devil trying to get Jesus to be like, hey, you're not headed in the right direction. I have a stronghold here in the Decapolis and I want to push you back. I don't want you here of knowing what, was, knowing what was happening. And so when Jesus lands on the shore, he is coming with this glorious news of restoration. He's coming with this glorious news of, of the kingdom of God, the renewal of all things. And so when this mess of a man who's heavily demonized uh, comes to him, this man isn't getting in the way of what Jesus came to do. This man is why Jesus is here. This is the exact thing that Jesus came to do was to set the captive free. Isaiah 61, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring liberty to the captive. This is the ministry of Jesus. And the text goes at length to describe the condition of this man. If you were to look at, you know, uh, in your Bibles, verses 2 through uh, uh, 5, it's hard not to have compassion for this individual. We see in verse 2, what's his condition? Uh, The text says that he was a man with an unclean spirit. Inside of him, demons somehow, we don't know, through some open doors that others opened or he opened, got influence in his life. And the result of this demonization, being a man with an unclean spirit, the result was, we see with this man, was he was isolated. He was living in the tombs outside of the city. He's living amongst the dead, like super weird, super creepy. He's exhibiting antisocial behavior. He's shrieking at the top of his lungs day and night over the village. Imagine how terrifying that is for the townspeople in the village. Like, here's the coyotes, and then here's the crazy guy screaming at the top of his lungs day and night. Um, There's violence towards himself. He's cutting himself. He has supernatural strength. People are trying to chain him, and he has strength enough to break those chains and the treatment. So that was his condition. That was the result of his condition, and the treatment that the townspeople, the only treatment that the townspeople could give him were to chain him up like a rabid dog and put him in a cage, in a cave somewhere on the outskirts of the city. Literally chaining this crazy guy up was all that they could do. They treated him like he was a rabid dog. And if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of this man, it's maybe hard to relate, but this is an image bearer of God. This is someone who's afflicted, tormented, harassed day and night by the devil. 
And I think it, it, it bears us well to, to slow down here and imagine what it would be like to be this guy. What was this guy's childhood like? You know, we don't know. We don't know what his childhood like, but maybe, maybe there's a ton of trauma in his childhood. Maybe there was lots of violence. Maybe there was abandonment, right? We don't, we don't know. What, what, was, what was maybe from a young age, he was, would just have these horrific nightmares. Maybe these demons got access through a very young age, through maybe sins of his parents, and, and he just, he doesn't remember a, a, a season in his life not waking up terrified from these demonic encounters that he's having. Imagine 24-7 around the clock, he's having voices in his head that he cannot shut off. He cannot shut off. Just voices, nonstop, awful, intrusive thoughts that he can't make stop. And I, I imagine that when this, when this man uh, in between uh, demons manifesting and not, I imagine there were many a night on a cold dirt floor inside of a cave where he's weeping his guts out, crying out to his pagan gods to help him out. And he, he has no power to set himself free. He doesn't know how he got here, but he's tormented. He's afflicted in the fetal position, weeping his guts out, asking for help. And... Uh, what we know to be true with the ministry of Jesus in the sermon series as we're looking at the heart of our Savior is as crystal clear is that the heart of Jesus moves closer towards the demonically afflicted. The demonically afflicted, the suffering, the torment they're under evokes compassion that leads to action in Jesus. And don't take my words for it. Look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I'm going to show you something you've probably never seen before. That's a bold claim, but here we go. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Now this is like the verse on evangelism. Any pastor who's going to teach on evangelism is going to teach on Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And they're going to say, you got to pray to God to send out laborers into the harvest. And then what we say, which is, which is true, is, is the harvest is, are the lost, and we are to go and share the good news of Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins so they can repent and believe. That's, that's it. But the context of Matthew 9, I'm going to show you the context of this. Look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction, demonic harassment. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus had compassion. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so Jesus is reacting to something. Jesus in our text that we just read is seeing something. He's saying they're harassed, they're helpless. Where if you look at your Bibles in Matthew 9, we see that it starts out with people bringing someone who's paralyzed, to him, he gets healed. Someone, uh, who, uh, the bleeding woman comes to Jesus, um, uh, Jairus' daughter who's dead. And then immediately before this text, what do we see? Immediately before Matthew 9, 35 through 38, this is what we see, Matthew 9, 32 to 33. It's, it's a demon that Jesus has to deal with. Someone, someone demonically afflicted. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Did you know that that famous text of Matthew 9, 35 through 38, was preceded by, a, by an exorcism? And Jesus, being overwhelmed with the curse of sin, the tyranny of the demonic, disease, death, the devil in Matthew 9, he has this outburst of saying, oh, Lord, they're harassed, they're, they're helpless, there's so many who are suffering. Would you now, God, send out laborers into the harvest? And it gets better. 
what immediately follows this famous text. What's the exact next thing that we see Jesus do after Matthew 9, 35 to 38? Pull out your Bibles. Look at Matthew 10. This is the exact verse that follows uh, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Matthew 10, 1. After Jesus prays that the Father would send out laborers into the harvest, and, and Jesus called to him his 12 disciples, and what did he do? He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So sandwich, what I'm getting at, sandwich with that famous text that we only talk about evangelism is sandwiched in between a, an exorcism and then Jesus sending out laborers to go do deliverance and to go do healing. And so the reason I share that is if we were to ask, well, well Jesus, what is the harvest you're talking about? You know, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is people who are bound and broken and suffering. That's the harvest. Yes, the lost. Yes, the afflicted. Yes, the diseased. That's, that's what moves. The, and I'm not, I'm not pulling from a commentary here. I'm just showing you how context informs the, the right interpretation of a text. And so, so just read that. Look that over. That's all sequential. That's before this text and after this text. And then, so that's the harvest, is the bound, the afflicted, the broken, right? Those under the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of renewal. And then, who are the laborers? What kind of laborers does Jesus ask the Father that we should be praying to go into the harvest? The laborers that Jesus sends into the harvest are those who have his power and authority to do what he did. It's not just, it's not just yes, Salvation is the greatest miracle. Yes, share the good news of Christ crucified. That is of first importance. And also share the gospel of the kingdom, that we, the people, need to partner with Jesus with what he wants to do, alleviate suffering of those who are demonically afflicted. Acts 10.38 says this. Uh, this is kind of in, in, in the middle of the message here, so it's kind of cut off. But how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Watch this. Jesus went about doing good, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is what Jesus came to do, was to set the captive free. And um, we at our church, we have an inner healing and, and deliverance ministry, and we're seeing Jesus do amazing things. And, and this comes from a, a posture of we've received this ministry. I, I received the gift of deliverance I didn't believe Christians could have or I needed. And and, and, and then I went back to the scriptures and I saw that this was all for today. But in the American church, what we have done is Jesus has this heart that wants to make a beeline to the demonically afflicted and set them free and restore them to sanity. But in the American church, what we've done is because we don't necessarily know what to do with this is we've held Jesus back from what he wants to do. And we said, no, no, Jesus, actually, hey, you can't do that anymore. Not here. It makes us uncomfortable. Hey, Jesus, we'd actually rather people stay bound and afflicted than us be uncomfortable so you can't do that anymore. I don't want to be associated with, with a church that has this, this ministry. So Jesus, you stay here. We don't care if the demonically afflicted stay afflicted. We just don't want this ministry anymore. We're, we're trying to hold Jesus back. And if we were to ask what's the heart of Jesus for the demonically afflicted today, it'd be that the church would partner with him to set them free. That's what he wants. That's what he came to do. He came in to usher in the kingdom of God. It's here, baby. He's still on his throne. Am I right? Someone say amen, hallelujah. And so if he's still on his throne, and everything is under his feet, and we encounter someone who's afflicted under demonic oppression, well, let's start praying for that person, that Jesus would come, the kingdom would break in and set them free because that's the heart of a great physician. The great physician, one, properly diagnoses an ailment and also gives the proper treatment, no matter the controversy, no matter the cost. And so Jesus, when he's faced with this man, immediately diagnoses the problem, he's demonized, and then he applies the proper treatment, which is deliverance. 
and this was controversial. It ended up getting Jesus kicked out of the region. And I heard a line that uh, a while back that I think is so good. When deliverance is needed, only deliverance will do. When deliverance is needed, only deliverance will do. So we don't see Jesus casting a demon out of Matthew. We don't see Jesus casting a demon out of the woman caught in adultery. We don't see Jesus casting a demon out of the leper. We see Jesus casting a demon out of this man here. That wasn't needed for those people to come to, to know Jesus and be restored. They, maybe they didn't have demonic oppression, but this guy did. And so then Jesus presses in and gives his deliverance. And he did that for compassion. And the reason I want to spend a large part of my talk on that is because I want us to partner with Jesus with the heart of compassion for those who are demonically afflicted. It is real. I have it on good authority. It really stinks to be demonized. It's really, really hard. It's a battle. It's a fight. There's lots of doubts. There's lots of questions. And then uh, there's lots of misdiagnosis. Um, and not everything is a demon. Not all voices are, 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 are demons. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, I'm not dismissing mental health. But we as followers of Jesus need to have this in our arsenal and realize that this is the king that we worship. This is the king that we follow. This is the ministry that Jesus came to do. So we see the compassion of Jesus. And next we see the authority of Jesus. I love, I love this. Verse six. And when uh, he, the demonized man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran at him and fell down before him. Now imagine that scene, okay? Let's slow down. Imagine that scene. They step off the boat, right? And it says in verse two that the second they step out of the boat, this man's coming to him. Now, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm there with Jesus, one of the disciples, and I step out into this region, it's the first time I'm there, it's pagan, they're a bunch of pagan demon worshipers, you know, that's how the Jews viewed them, and I see a half-naked, crazy guy shrieking, running full sprint at me, I am running away as fast as I can, right? Like, if you had a map of the Sea of Galilee, like, here's, here's the eastern shore, here's Nick running full speed all the way back, you know, like... Jesus, this has been great. I will see you in Capernaum. I don't need the boat. I'm out of here, right? And here's like any townspeople that were in there saw that man running at them. They're doing the same thing, right? We have this monster of a man. We don't know if he's going to run and drop kick Jesus, if he's going to come and tackle Jesus. But what we see is, man, Jesus, what if it went down like this? What if? We're not sure. But this guy's running, running towards Jesus, and Jesus is just standing there with authority, knowing what the condition is, knowing why he came, knowing that this guy cannot, the, the demons inside this man cannot lift a finger against them. So this man runs, people are like, this Jesus isn't moving. He's not taking a step back. What's gonna happen? This man's running, raging, rah, you know, manifesting a demon, and then the thing drops right at Jesus' feet without him moving. That's bad. Come on. That's good, right? That's authority right there. Like, Jesus not moving, Oh, man, and he knows, Jesus knows, yeah, they're, they're like, this is, demons flex. They, 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 how do you put that, when you push your chips in, what is that when you play in poker, where my gambler's at? You uh, bluff, you bluff, they bluff, yeah, sorry. Oh, okay, uh, they're bluffing, they're flexing, right? They have no authority there, they have no authority there, and Jesus knows it, Jesus knows this, the, what, what's causing this is the demon, and, he, and Jesus is ready to get to work. Jesus is ready to roll up his sleeves and set this guy free because he said enough is enough. You're, st- you're gonna stop this harassment. You're gonna stop this torment. It stops today. And so the picture we see here is the full authority of our king over the demonic. What we don't see is two people of equal authority battling it out, right? Like you've ever watched Westerns, like, like Tombstone, Wide Earp, right? What you see is like, this is not a Western. This is not Wide Earp coming with his gang. And then the other guys in some, in some town in the Wild West, and then the debate before they start shooting each other is like, what are you doing white in our neck of the woods? And like, bang, bang, bang. You know, like, that's not it at all. That's not the movie scene, what we see here. 
Instead, the, the, the movie scene, if you will, that we see here is Jesus having an arm around like thousands of demons, uh, their back, on the ground, submitted them, and they're begging for mercy. Say, no, 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 please, 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 please. No, 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 no. It is, this text is like the most embarrassing text for the kingdom of darkness. This is like the one text that the devil, like, man, he's like, dang, that was embarrassing. That was a really bad show. Like, look at, look at how the demons, look at, look, look at how demons act in the presence of Jesus. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, the demons through the man said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They know exactly who he is, and they're terrified. And they, look how scared they are. They call in God. They call in God to beg Jesus not to torment. That's how scared they are. If a demon is, is, is calling in God for help, that's, that's, that's a scared demon. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Oh, I guess you're on good terms now, okay. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus, deliverance is a process. Jesus was commanding this man to come out of him. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. They're more than one. And they're probably, Legion is like roughly 6,000 Roman soldiers at the time. So there's a lot. And watch this, verses 10 through 12. Hey, kudos to you, great. You're many, and you're many subdued. You're many under my feet. You're many terrified. And how do we know that? Because twice the demons beg Jesus. They beg him. Watch the, oh man, this is like such a good text. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Side note, why did they not want to leave the country? Right? Well, that's kind of weird. Are there, are there demons assigned to certain territories? They have strongholds in certain regions, certain assignments? I don't know, maybe. This is another term for another time. They begged not to be sent out of the country. And instead they begged him, send this to the pigs, you know? Jesus, but this is what I'm getting at. This is what I want to leave you with, with this, this piece on authority. Sometimes we have an unhealthy obsession with the demonic. Sometimes we have an unhealthy fear as Christians of the demonic. And a Christian should never be scared of the devil. And this is, this is our text. The presence of Jesus terrifies the demonic. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. All authority means this. Jesus is the boss. Jesus, he's boss. He's in charge of everyone. So much so that demons take their orders from Satan until Jesus walks on the shore of the, uh, 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 the Decapolis. And then they take the orders from Jesus. That's authority. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, including legion, that Christ is Lord. They just haven't submitted to his lordship. They're in rebellion. They hate that, right? That's authority. He's the boss. He's in charge. There is no demon that truly does not know that he is Lord over all. And yes, they get the orders from Satan until Jesus walks into the room and then they get the orders from Jesus. That's amazing. Oh, that's so good. And so this is what I, I, I want us, before I move into my last point about power, for us to remember who we're singing to, who you're praying to, who's walking with you today. This Jesus who makes demons terrified. They beg in his presence. They ask for permission. They call in God to help them. That's how terrified they are of our king, of our savior. That's his authority. That's his authority. That's who's with us. He's reigning and ruling over all things. And, and what we see next is the power of Jesus. Jesus heals this man of his torment and of his affliction. And the way the healing came was when the forces of destruction, the evil spirits, were expelled out of him. Verses 13 through 14. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people, people came to see what it was that had happened. Now, there are some, like, I hope there's some game film in heaven, like, when you get to glory. And, like, the one thing that I want to see is this moment. Like, Jesus, can you show me? Can you do a replay on this moment? Like, this seems, like, crazy, right? There's pig, deep. Like, what's a demonized pig look like? I have no idea. Like, ah! You know, and they're all running. The townspeople are scared, so they're running into the city telling everyone. It's like pandemonium. Chaos, right? And that's a ton of bacon going into, plunging into the, the Sea of Galilee. That's a lot of precious bacon. And the million-dollar question is like, why the pigs, Jesus? Why did that happen? And go read your commentaries. Nobody knows. <laughs> There's some educated guesses, right? Like, well-respected scholars, and, and, here's, and here's, some, here's two points that, that uh, I'm pulling from, from, from my studies that I think, that I think are, are, are on the money here. One, what we see here is empirical, tangible, seen evidence of Jesus' power over the unseen forces of darkness, right? If, if there was any doubt of Jesus' power to, to expel the demonic power to do what the townspeople can never do. They bound this guy in chains and he broke through those chains with supernatural power. Um, Jesus did for this guy what he can never do for himself and, and all the little piggies, two thousands of them, running and, and, and plunging into the depths of the Sea of Galilee off the cliff there uh, is, is tangible evidence that Jesus is truly Lord and Jesus truly has the power to deliver and set free. Um, if you've ever been friends with someone who's into like weightlifting, you know, and they also have a social media account, uh, they, they upload their hashtags, right, of like their PRs, their personal records. And they're like, man, I slapped these many plates on the, you know, my squat today or my deadlift. And, you know, they're just videos of them, you know, repping out how many plates are on their bar. And what we see here is, is, is what they're doing there is they're measuring their strength. They're measuring their power. And if you were to measure Jesus's strength, right, his power, well, there's thousands of, of, of demons on the bar that Jesus, with a flick of his wrist, sent away out of this man. That's his power. That's his strength. Thousands of powerful demons that Jesus has a, a, a greater strength over and sends them out. But here's, a, here's another beautiful thing that, that we see. Not only is it revealing Jesus' power over the demonic and a lot of the demonic, thousands of them, what we also see is, is Jesus' kindness to this man. Because one of the things with, with when people are getting delivered is one of the, the number one questions you hear and that you wrestle with if you've been in the seat before is, how do I know they left? Because they're unseen. How do I know they left? And Jesus, in his kindness to this man, gave him empirical, tangible evidence that, hey, here's your receipt. Here's the proof that I thrust and expelled all the evil out of you and I plunged it to the depths of the sea, never to, to return to you. So as you continue to live and, and walk in this region and you look at that cliff, you are daily reminded of the fact that all the evil that was inside of you is no more and is gone. As you remember the squealing of those pigs swan diving into the bottom of the sea. How kind of Jesus, right? It's beautiful. And this is what we see next in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. These are the townspeople. The one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Don't miss how beautiful this picture is. In an instant, in a moment in history, uh, a rabid animal of a man 
was transformed. He was clothed. He was returned to normal. The voices left. The compulsions left. He was restored to sanity. Jesus Christ gave this man his life back. And evidence of how, of, of how profound the transformation was was that it actually scared everyone that knew this guy. It, it scared them. It terrified them so much so that they expelled Jesus out of the region. Jesus got exercised. He got cast out. They begged Jesus to leave, saying, hey, we can't afford any more of these kind of exorcisms if all the piggies are going to die whenever you cast a demon out of somebody. And then two, if Jesus remains here, that might require change on my behalf. I, I kind of like the way things are going here. I don't want that kind of change. And so they were scared, and so they sent Jesus away. But there's just this beautiful picture of this man who's restored to fullness of health, all because of what Jesus came to do. And, and theologian Sinclair Ferguson says this, in a sense, making people normal again was the essence of Jesus's ministry. In a sense, making people normal again was the essence of Jesus' ministry. Restoration, the restoration of the kingdom of God is restoring us back to God's original purposes for us. Demons don't belong inside human bodies. Sin was never meant to wreak havoc across the face of uh, the earth. And so Jesus is, is reversing all of that. He came to undo all of that and restore us to sanity. And this is what we see next. And I'll slowly wrap up with this. Mark 5, 18 through 20. He was getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons, what a great, what a great title, begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to, to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Jesus had the option to let this guy come with him um, or, or to stay and to testify. And Jesus chose what was best for the man and what was best for the region. Um, what was best for the region was for this man, everyone knew this man, to go and start testifying of the power of Jesus to transform lives, the power of Jesus over the demons that were afflicting him. And this man goes, he tells his family, everyone who knows him, you're different. Why are you different? How did this happen? Well, you know, let me tell you about who I met. Like, let me tell you about Jesus. But also, this wasn't just good for the Decapolis. This was what was best for this man. I was going to share a C.S. Lewis quote. I'm not going to share it for the sake of time. But, but, but our joy comes when we share what Jesus has done with other people, right? If you've ever, like, seen a really good movie or, you know, saw something really epic go down, it's in your bones. You have to go tell someone, and the completion of that joy that you experience comes when you get to share that with somebody else. And so imagine the joy of this guy. You know, he's at, you know, the Starbucks at the Decapolis. He's meeting up with his, his, his brother or sister or, or someone else in the region. And, and they're like, dude, you were chained like a dog. Like, what happened? And he's like, dude, you won't believe it. All these voices start coming out of me. This guy came on this boat. I was going to go tackle him, but then I had to fall at his feet. And like all the, you know, all this stuff, you know, he's just, he's just, spitting. he's like, and I'm, there's no voices. There's no compulsion. It's, it's all gone. I got a job now. I'm, I'm back at school. I'm, I'm starting my career again. This is amazing. And, and they're like, well, where is this? Well, he's on the Western Shore. Where is he coming back? I sure hope so. And he just goes and tells people, hey, you won't believe. And those pe people tell other people. And then what happens when Jesus returns to the Decapolis in Mark 7 and Mark 8? What happens when Jesus returns? They start bringing him the sick to get healed. Thousands of people gather to hear his teaching, and that's the Gentile version of the feeding, I believe, of the 4,000 on the Eastern Shore, all because Jesus came to deliver one man from demonic oppression. One man, one man commissioned by Jesus to say this, 
Go tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. The Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord, the king of the universe, the king of, of, of heavens and, and the earth, the king over, over every, every name that is named. Go tell him how that Lord has had mercy on you. And that man goes and spreads. Jesus comes back, and that guy primed the pump for renewal, the kingdom of God to come. How? Through just sharing what Jesus has done. Just sharing what Jesus has done. And so imagine, um, so that's what we see. As we see like a SEAL Team 6 operation, they go, they persevere, they're on their like chopper, they land on the shore, they come, they, stay, they, they, they take out their target legion, they restore one man, and then they evac and they go back, right? Mission accomplished, renewal comes, the king, that, that is the mark of renewal coming, right there, that restoration. And on the way back, as they're sailing back, and the disciples are grinning ear to ear. You know, Jesus did it again. And they go, Jesus, like, surely you had other plans for that region, right? Like, we kind of blew it. We didn't get to stay that long. Was that one guy really worth it? Was that guy really worth the trip, the opposition, all that stuff? And Jesus grinning ear to ear. Absolutely, that guy was worth it. 1,000% he was worth it. He was the reason we came. I came for him. And through him, what I did to him, I'm going to do through him. And he's going to go spread that good news of restoration to others. Now watch this. I'm, I'm concluding. Ben, you can come on up. This guy, this, 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 this crazy guy in the cave didn't schedule a meeting with Jesus for prayer. He didn't get a Google Calendar invite. He didn't get like, hey, we have this cool ministry. Schedule a meeting for prayer. That's not how that went down. The only reason, the only reason this guy is set free and restored is because Jesus came for him. Jesus came for him. Jesus made this happen. And that's what we celebrate as Christians is that Jesus came for us when we wanted nothing to do with him. When we were bound, when we were chained in our sins, some of us also with demonic oppression, Jesus came and fought for us. He sought us out. He purchased our victory. And with communion, this is what we celebrate as we respond with communion. If you're here today, a follower of Jesus in good standing with your church, we invite you to participate in communion with us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And he gave them these tangible reminders of his atoning work. He said, this, is, this bread will represent my body, which is going to be broken for you. This wine will represent my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so what we're doing when we celebrate this today as a church, to conclude, is God in his grace has instituted this sacrament as a perpetual reminder to, in one way, to those who are always worried and asking this question, are my sins forgiven? How do I know that my sins are forgiven? Like the demoniac saying, how do I know the demons really left? Well, he can look, he can remember at that cliff when they left. And so how do we know that our sins were forgiven? Because our savior was crushed, right? How do I know in communion what it celebrates? What Jesus is saying is look at my body. Look at my blood. Why would you ever doubt if your sins are forgiven? I've nailed them to the cross. I've taken, when I took your sin to the cross, my body was broken. My blood was shed and I nailed your sin to the cross. I canceled your record of debt that was separating you from God so that you could feast with me. Here is the evidence. Here is the receipt. Here is the proof of purchase that the devil has no dominion over you. And so I'm gonna conclude with Colossians 2. 13 through 15, and then a, a quote from a theologian. And then we'll take communion together. 
Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you, this is us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. God has made us alive together. Having forgiven us, how did he do it? Having forgiven us of all of our sins against God, our trespasses. By, watch this, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is what we commemorate and we remember when we celebrate communion. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, demonic forces of evil. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is what John Piper says about that verse. If our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, Satan has no damning weapon against us. Now without sin and law to condemn and accuse and oppress us, Satan is a defeated foe. He is disarmed because Christ has triumphed over him. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice, God. Oh, we rejoice, Jesus, that you did for us what we can never do for you when our backs were turned to you, when we were running with the devil, God. You came and sought us out. You came and sought us out. You descended, you left your throne, you took on flesh, you walked among us, and you walked towards us to, to enter into our world so that we could enter into yours, demon-free, sin-free, pain-free, forever, God. That's how good you are, and, and it's all real, God. It's all true. This isn't theory. This is reality, Lord God. And so we thank you, we praise you, Lord God, for what you have done. And Lord, we don't leave here still wrapped up and consumed with fear. We don't leave here wondering how, uh, if you're going to win the battle, if this is all going to be made right. You've won the war, Jesus. This is what communion celebrates, is the devil has no claim on me anymore. The war has been won. Yes, the battle still rages, but we know how this ends. We don't bite our fingernails. We don't worry. We know that you're seated in victory already. So we, although yes, the battle rages, we wage battle from the high ground. We wage victoriously with our chins up, looking where our king of glory is seated. And you said, Lord, that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And so I pray that right now, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd minister your love, your hope, and your healing to hearts today. I pray, Lord God, in any way, Lord God, where this message might have resonated, I pray that you supply that Holy Spirit and that you would invite us into maybe renewing our minds and fixing our eyes upon you. Invite us, Lord, to come in and maybe receive prayer, something that we, 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 it's been on our hearts, but maybe this message pushes us over the ledge to, to schedule a prayer meeting with our team. We want what you want, Jesus, but we, we, we thank you, God, and we approach your table. We approach the Lord's table with gratitude and thanksgiving that our greatest enemies are all under our feet and we are seated with you in the heavenly places. That's our standing. And so with that infused courage and strength as the, as the battle still rages for us to continue to march towards victory, Lord God, that you have purchased for us. So we bless your name and we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.